Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I invite you to explore the wisdom of the Bible and reflect on your own faith as you continue your own personal journey. Each of us have our own spiritual needs to be met, so each of us will have our own response to the teachings we're about to encounter. May you be blessed in your journey, wherever it takes you. These past two weeks, athletes from around the world have been participating in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Mount Olympus in Greek mythology was the home of the gods, and the elite athletes who managed to ascend to the heights of their sports to compete in the Olympic Games attain almost godlike status in their home countries. Today that status is often accompanied by lucrative commercial sponsorships. The 2020 Olympiad, which is being held in 2021 due to the pandemic, has been fraught with controversies of different sorts. The first controversy was whether the Olympics should have been held in the first place due to the resurgence of COVID-19 and the risks to the athletes and global spread of the virus. Then Simone Biles, arguably the best gymnast of all time, withdrew from the games due to physical and mental stress. Biles brought to light the physical and mental abuse of young athletes by an archaic and destructive system in gymnastics and Olympic sports in general. One beach volleyball team was sanctioned for their refusal to wear the skimpy bikinis required in their sport. Sponsors from major brand athletic apparel companies are coming under scrutiny for failing to consider the well-being of the athletes they hold under contract. The IOC was rightly criticized for turning women athletes into sexualized objects for profit. Also, also, there was the ongoing controversy of whether athletes should be allowed to make protest displays during the award ceremonies. The Bible is filled with athletic imagery, positive and negative, about striving for perfection that I think can shed some light on the issues that we are facing in the Olympics. So I decided I would take this opportunity to mine these resources for any nuggets of gold they might contain. I begin by reading from the letter of Hebrews that describes the struggle of faith. Since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance and discipline the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Now discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, let your drooping hands and Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Here ends the reading. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I was never a great athlete. I love playing sandlot baseball. But when I played on an organized little league team, I didn't get a single hit. I learned early on that basketball was not my sport either. 
Every time I tried a layup, I ended up bouncing the ball out of bounds off my knee. I had some limited success as a defensive player in high school football, but never could manage to take a handoff and hit the hole in the line as a running back. My hand-eye coordination just wasn't there for sports. I felt self-conscious and embarrassed to the point that I started avoiding athletics, even those sandlot baseball games. I was no good. And those attitudes started to seep into my opinion of myself outside of sports. But it turns out that I was fast. The junior high track coach happened to spot me racing back to school after lunchtime one day. And he cornered me after his biology class and convinced me to try out for the track team. Turns out that I was one of the fastest kids to go out. Track turned out to be my sport in high school, and running became a lifelong passion for me. The experience gave this pimple-faced nerd a little boost in self-confidence. Now, my rare and most cherished memory of sporting glory occurred at a regional track meet during my junior year in high school, in which I was called upon to run the anchor leg of the grueling two-mile relay. I received the baton trailing the leading runner by 20 yards. I had half a mile and a little over two minutes to make up the deficit. I closed the gap by the time of the final lap bell and hung off the shoulder of the leader, focusing on the rhythm of his cleats crunching into the cinder surface in front of me. As we entered the final turn, feeling as though I were floating, I moved slowly past him. In the final 50 yards, my lungs burned. My muscles begged me to stop, but seeing the tape 10 yards ahead of me, I increased my lead, breaking the tape 10 yards ahead of him. I stumbled to my hands and knees on the track infield and puked. We set a school record. Throughout my life, I have continued to replay in my mind that last 50 yards which was filled with a combination of pain and euphoria and how I persevered through the suffering and pain the final moment of victory at the tape. It was the first time in my life when I felt that I had nothing more to give. My victory was not over the runner I outran, but with that part of myself that wanted to give up. Now, this was a small achievement as far as athletic performances are concerned, but it gives me a sense of perspective every time I read Paul's words in Philippians. He says, Not that I have already obtained eternal life or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the finish line for the prize of the heavenly call of Christ Jesus. This week, I've been watching hours of Olympic competition across many sports, and I'm faced with a conundrum. On the one hand, I admire the athletes and the amount of work that they have put in to reach the podium. I'm awed by it. One sportscaster calculated that American swimmer Katie Ledecky has logged 22,400 miles en route to amassing her Hall of Gold. That's just short of swimming around the world. I also admire the parents who supported them through their struggles and the coaches who have brought them to their peak 
form, encouraging them to be their best and inspiring them. But then there is this dark underworld of competitive athletics into which Simone Biles has cast some light. First of all, there was the sexual abuse that, my, that Biles and over 150 girls on the gymnastics team suffered at the hands of trusted team coach Larry Nasser, while the adults in charge turned a blind eye. A woman sprinter from Belarus defected and was forced to seek sanctuary because that country's athletic committee threatened her life and freedom for criticizing the way they treated her. Seemingly less egregious but more widely damaging is the physical and emotional damage that can be inflicted on children who are recruited into gymnastics and many other sports well before they've had a chance to discover their own passions and talents and directed them down such a narrow path in life that when they come to its end, they are left with no sense of who they are outside of their sport and where to go in life from there. To be fair, there are many athletes who thrive under the pressure and the discipline, who find great success in sports and later in life. Like I said, I think my life benefited from my running career. But no one was putting unreasonable expectations on me. Many successful athletes do not flourish after the bloom of their youthful talent withers. They will spend their lives in depression and obscurity, or even tragically end their own lives. And how many more have been cast aside on the way up for whom failure becomes a sign of their lack of self-worth in a culture which idolizes success and demeans failure? Some people called Simone Biles' withdrawal a betrayal of her country. But fortunately, most of those voices appear to have been drowned out by her supporters due to the strength of character that Ms. Biles displayed. I think that I have come up with an apt, if imperfect, metaphor that can help us temper the destructive effects of a quest for success and greatness. In Olympic track and field, the competitors must survive qualifying heats or preliminary races which call out the less competitive runners before they reach the semifinals and finals. The slower runners are stripped away until only one st stands atop the gold medal podium towering above the also-rans who earned silver or bronze. I was watching one of the preliminary heats of the men's individual uh, race where the first three runners would advance to the semifinals along with three others from all heats with the fastest times after the automatic qualifiers. What is he doing? the announcer cried as the American runner pulled away from the field and finished first in a nearly personal best time. The announcer, the announcer said, you're not supposed to win the heats. You need to do just enough to get through to the prelims and save something for the final. The announcer was right. That runner ended up off the podium. In his book, 26 Marathons, What I Learned About Faith, Identity, Running, and Life from My Marathon Career, champ championship runner Meb Keflasigi talks about the lessons he learned over the course of 26 marathons that he ran in his career. His first marathon was a painful disaster when, against all advice, he went out too fast in the first 20 miles, 
and had to struggle home the last six because he ran out of gas. Oddly, using a baseball metaphor, Meb writes, You don't have to swing for the fences in everything you do. Cruise control can be an effective, low-stress way not only to run your fastest, but to reach your full potential in many areas of life. Always do your best. That's a model you'll find in one form or another in every motivational gift shop and website that you can imagine. Well-meaning coaches and parents, me included, temper the phrase saying, I don't care if you win or lose, but as long as you always do your best. Turns out, that's not only an impossible, but also ill-advised and unwise piece of advice. Constantly striving to do our best or to be the best is a sure recipe for poor performance when it counts and eventual burnout and breakdown ensue. Now, let me apply my preliminary race heat metaphor to life in general. Picture your life as a being comp comprised of many preliminary heats in which you are always competing. One of those may be an athletic endeavor. Another may be striving for academic achievement. A big one for many of us is competing in the job market in search of prestige and economic success. Even our quest to find the perfect mate and grow the dream family is a sort of competition. When you break it down in this way, it becomes apparent that you can't give it your all in every heat, in every area of life. Give everything you've got at work and nothing will be left for your family. Leave everything on the track or the football field and you may sacrifice everything else. I'm not saying that it's always wrong to compete to win. To the contrary. We just need to be sure we know what winning means. You may want to give it all, even in the prelims sometimes. It feels good to win once in a while. Maybe you want to cram for a test to get the highest grade. Go for it. Give it your all. But you can't win all the races all of the time. Every marathon runner knows that it's more important to run smart rather than to run fast. Coincidentally, Simone Biles came back in the end and won a bronze medal in the balance beam. Balance is not only important in that event, but in all of life. I know that I've already beaten too many sports metaphors to death, but let me conclude my race image of moving through the preliminaries to the finals. When we have run the preliminary heats in our lives, we face the final. To complete my image, I return to the beginning of that passage from Hebrews where I started. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance and discipline the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne. This is the race, this final, 
where you can give it your all. You've run the heats wisely and still have something left in life's tank. This is the race where you can be in it to win it. All of life. Unlike the spectator-free Tokyo Games, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on. Despite all the worldly things weighing you down, hardships, and your own weaknesses, fueled by faith, you push on toward your final goal. Now you stand atop the highest podium of all and receive the golden crown of life. Let's hope that those involved in the Olympic apparatus may learn from the tragedies as well as the victories that are produced by Olympic competition. We also pray that our culture will learn to nurture our children to lead balanced lives, striving for success when possible and when it benefits them, and knowing when to build up physical, emotional, and spiritual reserves that will prepare them for full and fulfilling lives to the end. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. I pray that God will give you the strength to persevere through every challenge you face. May God bless you and give you happiness and peace.